Okay. So, as I said, question 79 and 78 in the Orthodox Catechism. And let me begin by reading Scripture. Uh, let's turn to John 6. John, the Gospel of John 6, chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Okay. Now, let's read uh, from verse 1 up to 59. Okay. John 6. <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus... Lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone, is, uh, everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. <clears throat> so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, uh, except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus saw, was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, 
What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said, and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said, uh, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, uh, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and, you do, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he, know, he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Not one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Their fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the word is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. That's the discourse on the bread of life. I wanted to uh, read that for us as a, as a backdrop, as a premise of our questions today, questions 79 and 80. So let's go to the question. Question 79, and uh, if somebody can read the answer, I will post the question. <clears throat> Q79, how are you in the Lord's Supper admonished 
and warranted that you are a partaker of that only sacrifice of Christ offered on the cross and of all his benefits. Somebody read the answer. Ah, oh, okay. Answer, because Christ has commanded me and all the faithful to eat of this bread broken and to, the drink, and to drink of this cup distributed in remembrance of him. With this, he has joined the promise that his body was certainly broken and offered for me upon the cross, and his blood shed for me, and by the the bread of the Lord broken to me, and the cup communicated to me. Further, my soul is no less assuredly fed to everlasting life with his body, which was crucified for me, and his blood, which was shed for me, that I receive and taste by the mouth of my body, the bread and wine, the signs of the body and blood of the Lord, received at the hand of the minister. There's a lot there. <laughs> okay. And uh, we all know what the Lord's Supper is all about. Uh, what the Lord's Supper is, right? Okay, Lord's Supper. Just, just so that we're on the same page. The Lord's Supper is the breaking and the eating of the bread. Okay? It's, it's, it's that, uh, if we call it ceremony or that part of our worship, the breaking of the bread and eating the bread and drinking of wine. Okay? According to the command of Christ, given to believers, okay, given to believers, that he may he may by these signs. So they are signs, which means what? They point to something, okay? They point to something. That he may by these signs declare that his body was broken, and his blood shed for them that he gives them these things to eat and drink, that they may be fed unto everlasting life, and that he will dwell in them and so nourish and quicken them forever. Okay, these are the words that we see in John 6, right? Eternal life, everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so we're good? We're good. That's, by the way... Uh, uh, the definition is uh, out of Zachariah, Zacharias or Sinus uh, exposition of the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. Okay. So these are the facts that we see. Okay, we see the institution of the Lord's Supper, or the account of the Lord's Supper. Uh, four things. If, if this is this is academic. Okay, four things uh, in the Synoptic Gospel: Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're in there. The actual institution, and of course the uh, the familiar passage that we uh, go to during our our, our administ the administration of the Lord's Supper, which is First Corinthians what eleven. Okay, so those three are the go-to. Four, I'm sorry, four. So out of that, we know these facts. It is ordained by Jesus Christ. Okay, it is given for His church. It is for to remember Him. Okay, to remember him is a memorial, and it is to nourish our souls. Okay, if you, if those four, if you can hang on to, to those two, those are the facts that we know for with great confidence that uh, these are contained in the Lord's Supper, ordained by Jesus Christ for the believers, for his church, uh, to remember as, as a remembrance and to nourish our souls. So if you look at the answers. One categorization that you can see there is that uh, there are two aspects to the Lord's Supper. Okay? The physical aspect and the spiritual aspect. Okay? So, <clears throat> and then if you look at uh, also, so we can get our bearings on the answer, I'm going to probably go back and forth on the question 79 and question 80. So let's pause and let's read question 80 as well. And if somebody can uh, read the answer, I'll do the question. So what is it to eat of the body of Christ? Answer. Go ahead, Anna. It is not only to embrace, but in assured confidence of mind. <clears throat> the whole passion and death of Christ is thereby to obtain forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. 
but also by the Holy Spirit who builds both in Christ and us, so more and more to be united to his sacred body, that though he be in heaven and we on earth, yet nevertheless we are flesh in his flesh and bone in his bone. As all the members of the body are quickened by one soul, so are we also quickened and guided by one and the same spirit. Very good. If you look at the references there, a lot of it comes from John 6. Okay, so let's go back. There are two aspects. Okay, one categorization we could see in that answer, in those answers, is that there is a physical aspect and there is a spiritual aspect to the Lord's Supper. If you look at the answers again, you can see, you can see three components of those answers. Okay, just to get our bearings. One is... It is a command, okay? And then the other one, there's promises in there. And the other one is that there's admonishments in there. And we will do, that's where we will park. We will uh, expound on all these three, the commands, the promises, and the admonitions, okay? So, <clears throat> First, is a, it's a command, okay? It will spur us to obedience. It's something we need to obey. The Lord's Supper tells us what? What's the command? To eat and drink, okay? And I'm talking about the physical aspect. So, physical aspect of the Lord's Supper. To eat and drink. Literally, this means eating and drinking. Yeah. These are specific commands that calls us to obedience. There, these are found in all of the, of all the three uh, Gospels and also the First Corinthians. So, <clears throat> one might think that we focus on justification by faith alone, right? We know how important faith is in our uh, faith, <laughs> in our uh, belief, in our practice. And it's all centered around faith. Apart from faith, we can do nothing, okay? So... But the Lord's Supper is an exercise of faith. Uh, it tells us that there, there is a physical eating and drinking. And it is not... Uh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase. By thinking that faith is important, that we may dismiss the physical aspect of the Lord's Supper as a command of God. Meaning... As long as I, 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 I follow the Lord's suffer, Supper in faith, right? I believe all these things that it promises, and I have union with Christ, then I don't have to do the physical aspect of the command. No. Okay? Uh, the physical eating and drinking is mandatory. We are to do them. Eat and drink here does not refer to faith. Okay. The physical bread and the wine are in the Lord's Supper. They're there physically. We see this in Acts 2.42. Can somebody read Acts 2.42 and Acts 20 uh, verse 7? Acts 2.42 is the fellowship of the believer. Go ahead, Brian. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they're actually, the breaking of the bread there is the Lord's Supper. They're actually doing it. And the Acts 27. Okay. So we read it. Okay, so they gathered together and they they were breaking bread. Okay, literally it means the Lord's Supper. So they were doing it physically. So there's no question about it. That's I know I'm stating the obvious here, but there might be you might be on some persuasion that as long as I I have the Lord's Supper in faith that I ha don't have to do the physical thing. No, the physical thing is as much as a command as the faith itself, okay? So, <clears throat> uh, 
another point about the physical aspects that proves the physical aspect of the Lord's Supper is that the Lord's Supper is administered. Okay? There's a physical action as to the preparation of the supper and then somebody set aside a time that they devote to this eating and drinking of bread unto the Lord. Okay? So, and uh, it is uh, administered by someone. And for this day, uh, uh, for our purpose, it's the overseers, the under shepherds. Christ is the good shepherd, and the ministers, the elders, are the under shepherds. And uh, where do we see this? We see this in the fact in, in 1 Corinthians 11 that it was Paul. He, he recollects, he reminds us of what happened that day, and he uh, administered it. Uh, during that time, okay, the ministers of the church are appointed uh, to administer the Lord's Supper. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 4 1. Okay, just uh, see. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, we see that Paul models this, okay, and Paul, we know that he is uh, the apostle, it's the elder, okay. Uh, if you will, the bishop. Um, but there's also an aspect of it uh, as far as looking at the stewards of the church. Okay? The stewardship of the church. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4 1. Somebody go there and then Hebrews 5 4. First Corinthians four one. Go ahead. Uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of the Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, hold on to that. And then Hebrews five four. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay. That's not referring specifically to the Lord's Supper. It's about stewardship of the mysteries of God. Okay, So should we include the Lord's Supper as the mysteries of God? So that's probably what's in your mind. So when Paul refers to stewards of the mysteries of God, by the way, that steward, the word steward there in Greek means, um, actually means house rules. Okay, house rules. So... You know, you can imagine, you have a house, you set the rules in the house, okay? So, uh, when Paul refers to stewardship, the church understands that to, that to include being stewards of the sacraments as well. Okay, here's the explanation. In as much as the protector of the true church, true church meaning preaching of the word, we know that true church, uh, we have sort of a three marks, right? The preaching of the word, okay? The administration of the Lord's Supper, uh, of the sacraments, uh, baptism of the Lord's Supper, and administration of church discipline. If you have those three, those are sort of marks of the... So if we are to steward that, okay, which means we steward the purity of the doctrine and the purity of life. So this is the line of thinking there. So, uh, R.C. Sproul states that the sacraments, sacraments are so holy that they must be guarded from frivolous or cavalier usage. That becomes particularly clear when we consider the warning not to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. Okay? So that's kind of the... You, when we read the scripture, it, you might have a feeling that it's... It, the proof that the minister uh, elders administer the church uh, is not so strong okay but if you look at that line of thinking there the, in, in the light of stewardship of the church uh, that kind of makes sense okay sacraments are so holy that they must be guarded from frivolous or cavalier usage that becomes particularly clear when we consider the warning not to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily okay that is why it's preferred that the elders uh, 
administered. So why then can't unbelievers partake in the Lord's Supper? Okay. So that's a, a follow-up on the elements of the Lord's Supper. It's a command by God. Okay, we establish that to eat and to drink. Okay, it's a physical thing. We must eat and we must drink. We don't regard it as faith only, but we actually eat and drink. So the question now, the next fact is that it is for unbelievers only. So why not unbelievers? Any idea? George, okay. In the covenant. Okay, covenant meal. It's a covenant meal that's established by God, right? Uh, that, that's good. Okay. And uh, there's a deeper, uh, I would say, probably a more logical, a more logical. Yours is logical, but. Uh, well, let me just say it this way. The Lord's Supper requires that one knows the body of Christ. Okay? The actual body of Christ. What that means. What that represents. Okay? No, I'm not talking about the, the church. The literal body of Christ. The breaking of the body. Okay. It, it says there, this is my body. This is given up to you. Okay? This is my blood. So there's a requirement there that you know what that means. And this entails discernment of what is the body and the blood of Christ. Here the participants are pointed to the spiritual aspect of the Lord's Supper. Okay? Now unbelievers may not know that. Know that intimately. They might know the facts. They might know the claims of Christian Christianity. But they, they might not know that personally like we do. Oh, like believers do. Does that make sense? Okay. So, questions like, who is this Jesus? Okay. What does his body and blood mean? Then you can't explain that fully without touching on sin. Okay. You can't explain that fully without touching on, cro on the cross. The meaning of the cross. What does his death mean? What does the resurrection mean? And so on and so forth. Okay? So unbelievers may not know this first intellectually, and they might not know this intimately or personally. Okay? So that's why. Partakers must be able to examine themselves. See? The Lord's Supper language. Examine themselves. So that requires knowing what those means. Do I believe? How is my walk with the Lord? Those questions. So unbelievers, okay, they might not know uh, to even think through this. Both of these requires some maturity, not just personal growth and development, but maturity in Christian faith. Okay. So that's why we discern uh, elders and, uh, and pastors, they discern who can take the Lord's Supper. This gives us a picture of the church life in light of the Lord's Supper. So it is incumbent upon us as a church to grow our young believers that they may enjoy the true significance of Christ's work as we remember Him in the Lord's Supper. Okay? Does that make sense? That's for African. That's what that's. Saying discerning the Lord's body is actually them 
discerning the brothers and sisters that are a part of the Lord's body because he says to them before that, you sort of cut in line, you cut people out, you eat before, you know, your, your brother or sister. So it's this idea that it is actually the body who's doing this eating together. And he says to them, discern the Lord's body, give thought to your brother and sister, in this context at least. Um, for this reason, many are getting sick and weak among you, and many have fallen asleep. So, and, and that, that's just one, one context where he's calling them to give thought to one another, and then he refers to it as the Lord's body. That's the Lord's body. So, those who are in union with Christ are his body, and those who are in union with Christ are believers. Okay. So that sums it up. One is that who are the body of Christ, and then what does that mean? Who, you know? Discerning the body of Christ. Who are the people? Can anybody do it? Those believers. Okay. So, uh, okay. Just, I gotta go fast here. Okay. So the components of these questions. One is this command. Okay. We established that. Any. So there's no question. It's very explicit. It's 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 speaking the obvious. It's it's just that we don't get carried away about the spirituality of it that we forget the physical aspect of it. Okay, it is a command to eat and drink. Actually, so number two is that it comes with promises. Okay, in that answer we see the promises uh, of the Lord's Supper. It strengthens our faith unto uh, Jesus Christ. Okay. So, the first statement of, of the answer to the catechism question reads, the last half of it, is that in remembrance of Him. This points us the idea that the Lord's Supper is not only physical but spiritual. The mere eating and drinking of the bread and the wine does not do much of anything other than fill your stomach. Okay, the physical aspect, that's it. It fills the stomach. The spiritual eating and the drinking are the ones that can do anything spiritually good. And that's why I first read John 6 to put us in that premise, John 6. So, logically, the next probably question in your mind is what's the connection with the spiritual and the physical? Okay? What is the... Uh, you might have taken that for granted and accepted it. That is good. Accepted it by faith. But there is a very good explanation that we can go to. Let's go to John 6, 54. Somebody read it. Go ahead. John 6, 54. Can somebody put a finger on John 6, 40 as well? Verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay. And then John 6:40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, you see the parallelism there, right? Right? Everlasting life or eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 54 says, who eats my flesh and drink my blood. But then in verse 40, what does it say? What's the word there we're looking for? There's one word. Believe. You see that? Okay. Believe. So that's the connection there. We can go to these verses as, a, as the connection between the physical and the spiritual. So... The physical eating and drinking is a figurative way of believing. Okay, believing, that's the connection there. So eating, physical eating must be accompanied by spiritual eating by faith. Otherwise, we're just filling our stomach. Okay, and if we just focus on the spiritual, we're disobeying the command to eat and drink. Okay, clear? So... To jump to question 80, what is it to eat the body of Christ? Based on this, it is to believe. It is to believe in a nutshell. Okay. So what can, uh, what can we say then to the connection of physical... I'm sorry. What we eat and drink become part of us. 
And here's sort of a, a picture uh, uh, for our blessing, perhaps, okay? What we eat and, and drink become part of us in a physical sense. When you eat, you know, orange, orange fruit, apple, and you drink, I like to drink Coke, <laughs> okay? It becomes part of us, okay? Coke, sugar gets in there everywhere, right? You either like go berserk or you fall asleep. Me, I fall asleep. It becomes part of it. It goes into the cells and goes into the tissues, okay? And whatever we drink, it, 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 it livens up your cells and your t tissues. All the nutrients of the food and drink pervades throughout our bodies. Cells, tissues, flesh, and bones. That's why there's a reference in flesh and bones in there. So figuratively speaking, it gives us a picture of our spiritual union with Christ. Okay, these are symbolisms. If we look at Lord's Supper baptism, there's symbolisms in there. That's why we read in question 18, more and more like Christ. Okay, it's filling us up with Christ. Eating and drinking introduces a change in our body, physical eating. There is the idea of addition into our body and the substance become part of you. So it is spiritually. We become more like Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are strengthened by becoming like becoming more like Christ. Not in the physical ways, but in spiritual ways. Thus we come to another point on the answer to the catechism question. Aside from the fact that the Lord's Supper is a command, it also comes with promises, as I said, signified and sealed in the Lord's Supper. So promises that we can see there is in the answers, if you look at it, okay, Christ died for me. That's a promise. He didn't die for, for some other group of people, but he died, or let's put it this way, it's a personal promise. Okay, I got a nod from uh, Pastor Ron. <laughs> Let me qualify that. Okay, it's a personal promise. He died for me. He died for you. Your father promises you, I'll come home and we'll go to the zoo this morning, uh, this, this evening. Okay? It's a, I promise you that. Okay? Father sh shouldn't promise that. <laughs> but you see the connection. It's personal. He is promising that in the Lord's Supper. I died for you. Okay? Another one is... Uh, okay. For me. So just how Paul personalizes that reality what Let's not forget that because Lord's Supper is a corporate cer uh, celebration. We see that over there. Okay? But the promise of Christ that comes with that is personal. Very personal. Okay? And specific. The Son of God sacrificed Himself for you. Sacrifice, eh? You were supposed to die spiritually. I was supposed to fall under the wrath of God, under the wrath of the Almighty God. But Christ took my place, your place, instead. This is His promise. And by faith, we are to trust that. Okay? Trusting that. He says, ah, you did that for everybody. That makes me special, right? But no, it is for you. I to you. Okay? Dear Arnie, I died for you. Signed, Christ Jesus. Is that okay? So another promise is, I believe that he promises me everlasting life. Again. Okay? That's in question 79. Yeah. And then another promise is, the Holy Spirit lives in me and governs me. We see that in question uh, 80. Another promise is that you and I are members of the covenant. Okay, as George says, we are members of the covenant. You're not an outsider, no matter what people say, no matter how you feel. 
Okay, you are part of the body of Christ. You know, if if you mess up a little bit, you you feel alienated. And you're not got, You don't want to be members. Uh, you don't want to necessarily. You're hesitant to go into the church, right? But as far as you belonging there, you are specifically, okay, and purposely part of that covenant no matter what you feel okay because the premise of the Lord's Supper is that you're sinners and if that's the case then nobody will be members right based on your feelings unless you're lying to yourself like a Pharisee I deserve to be here I did that and I did that I did that I, I, I'm in the covenant okay you see my point there no matter what you feel so that's his promise that, that, that's why we can go boldly but we will we, qualify that letter what boldly means okay then you and I are members of the covenant sorry part of that is this assurance that we have that's an unbreakable bond between you and Christ dear Arnie okay you and Christ unbreakable bond I will be your God and you will be my little child those are the promises that we are another promise is that we are blessed in Jesus blessed in Jesus that's a promise okay you can go to uh, first uh, Corinthians 10 on that okay I'll, I'll shortcut it here when he mentions the cup of blessing the cup of blessing and that blessing is all of Christ okay remember Indiana Jones the Holy Grail, which I, I can't remember which uh, episode that was. I think third or something. Okay, he was. There was a quest for a Holy Grail. Okay, it, it's not like that. Okay, <laughs> the cup of blessing. If you drink from that cup, and you get all this, all this superpower, right? I think the the blessing there or the uh, the reward there is that you have eternal life as long as you, you, you're in that area. If you get out of that area, then you will die. You will go old and you die. I think something like that. Okay? It's not the cup. It's what's spiritually inside the cup. Okay? That's spiritually inside the cup. A cup of blessing, which means all of Christ. All that's shown. Salvation. Okay? Redemption. Adoption. Sanctification. Glorification, all that shown. Not all the shown, but all those. <laughs> okay? All the blessing of Christ, or you can say it like you can have the blessings of all of Christ. Okay, both ways. That was good. So, there's commands, there's promises. In the Lord's Supper and there's admonishments in the Lord's Supper okay and we go to the admonishments the Lord's Supper admonishes us for sanctification sin no more okay sin no more that's the admonishment that we receive in the Lord's Supper first Corinthians 10 if you look at that it's all admonishments there 1 to 22 Okay, just look at it briefly and just to prove what I'm saying to you. All of that leading up to the Lord's Supper. Okay? So, there's all sorts of things there, admonitions. But, for our question, question 79, it opens this topic of how are we admonished? Okay, how does the Lord's Supper admonishes us? In the Lord's Supper, we are pointed to some specific view of ourselves. Okay? The focus there is, a, the admonishment there is, among other things, there's a focus on how we look at ourselves. Okay? Our posture before God. So, we examine ourselves. That's why we examine ourselves. How are we, how do we view ourselves before God? So, we don't come as perfect Christians in the Lord's Supper. We come saved by grace through faith and not by our own, our own doing, right? Ephesians uh, 2a. Um, 
not a result of works, so that no man, no one may boast. So what does that mean? What is our posture before God? What is our internal view of ourselves before God? This means our posture is that the person we should have a penitent heart. Okay? Penitent heart. That this is in connection to that boldness that we can come before the Lord. Supper. Okay, although we are sinners, we can come boldly if you're penitent. Okay? Penitent. It means humility and sorrow for our evil, uh, evil deeds. And this is, not, this is not in any way defeat. I'm not communicating defeat. Okay? Uh, Jesus came to save sinners, not perfect humans. If you're perfect, don't eat the Lord's Supper. No need. It's redundant. Okay? But the Lord's Supper is for sinners. And sinners with a penitent heart. Right? Penitent heart. But he came to save penitent sinners. Another posture. We come with respect that God knows all about us such that we should examine ourselves honestly. Okay? No need to sugarcoat or give excuses. Okay? It doesn't benefit anything. Our conscience bears, it should bear witness. Okay? It should be active. Do I believe that uh, when I eat and drink, I am assured of this promises by faith. Okay. Do I believe? Do I believe? Do I believe? That's sort of what, one examination that we have uh, of Christ. If not, we go back. Okay. If we go back. That's what examining uh, ourselves is. Am I making enough effort? Posture before God. Okay. Am I making enough effort to reform myself? Does it really, you know? You might ask, does it really look that bad, what I've done, okay? Oh, what am I? Uh, what I am, sorry. Is it really a big deal? Or am I doing this to foreshow that my faith is strong? My resolve is strong, so should you, my fellow, uh, uh, before my fellow Christians, okay? Or are you really grateful? That's another posture. Are you really grateful that that only comes true if you are well aware of the depth of the crevices that God saved you from. Okay? So, <clears throat> although it comes with a lot of this admonishment, as we see in 110, uh, what you can see in the Lord's Supper is this, our posture before God. Okay? We should be penitent, okay, sinners. We should be honest about how we examine ourselves. We should check about our, 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 our response to the promises of God. Do we really believe? Okay. And are we, are we moving? Are we doing actions? Are we making effort towards that? Okay. Good. So, uh, question 80, just, uh, I know it's all mixed in there. Question 80, uh, what is it to eat uh, the body of Christ? As I said before, it's what? To believe. To believe in all of Christ, to believe in all the promises that He has. Okay, to believe exactly that He left us with this sacrament for our good. Okay? That we will be good for it. And so to eat and body of Christ to drink is to believe in the assurances of the Lord's Supper. And if you look at the answers to question 80, we see the assurances there. Let me read it. It is not only to embrace by assured confidence of the mind. Confidence of the mind. Believe, right? The whole passion and death of Christ and thereby to obtain forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. This means remission of sins. To believe that we are assured that your sins are are forgiven but also by the Holy Spirit who dwells both in Christ and us so more and more to be united to his sacred bo body the assurance of uh, that we are united with Christ we are in union with Christ okay? that though he be in heaven and we on earth yet nevertheless we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones again union with Christ 
as all the members of the body are quickened by one soul, so are we also quickened and guided by one and the same Spirit. Again, the assurance that life governance of the Holy Spirit, that we are not here alone, and Jesus reigns up on high, but He is with us through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, <clears throat> this is particularly important for us in times of doubt. Thus, God love me. Does He truly love me? Am I worthy of His love? These promises are our assurance. Okay, that's what the Lord's Supper is trying to remind us. Yeah, He loves us. God in His forbearance gives us the sign and seal. Seal means ratified. This is true. This is in effect. This is what's going to happen. Okay? When we come to that situation of doubt, it is not so much a question of whether God loves you. Because He does. He said so. And He is God. The Lord's Supper assures us these things. For true believers. Perhaps we have that doubt. It's it is our, perhaps it is our preparation when we come to the Lord's table that needs a careful evaluation. Okay. A penitent heart will be humbled and sorrowed. So the sacrament of the Lord's Supper turns that sorrow into peace. So it's very important that we understand the Lord's Supper to discern the broken body of Christ, to discern the blood of the sacrifice okay so <clears throat> let me end with this very short verse but it carries with it a ton a ton of truth and assurances Psalm 34 8 oh taste and see that the Lord is good That's it. That's all I have. I hope that was good for you as it was good for me. Questions, though? Okay. Okay, let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for your word. May we truly, truly honor the Lord's Supper, Father, as you have intended it. So give us life give us minds, give us hearts that seek seek you not just seek facts and, uh, and knowledge but Father to know how personal it is uh, for you that uh, we will be your little children so thank you so much, Father. With grateful hearts, we cry out to you, Abba Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.